We're continuing in this series, this, this series that evaluates our vision, our mission, and our values. Uh, if you're new here today or in the last couple of weeks, this could be brand new for you today. Uh, for those who have been here the last few weeks, this is the same thing over and over again. It's kind of on purpose, but our vision as a church is to be focused on, on connection, to be a place to connect, where we, we understand that relationships are the most important thing that we can pursue as a church. And our mission kind of spells that out, that we are to connect with God, connect with others, connect others with God. And that uh, really means like the first thing we need to do is make sure that there's a, re- a personal relationship with God uh, for everyone that, that comes to the church here that you build meaningful relationships with one another, and ultimately that we lead into uh, uh, bringing others to Christ and, and connecting others with God, uh, both locally and, and around the world. Now, this mission is supported by our values, and these are kind of the bedrocks of our community, that we value prayer, worship, biblical foundation, and we've spoke on those in weeks past, uh, that we value fellowship, which Pastor Chris spoke on last week, fellowship and discipleship, and today we'll speak, be speaking of Christian unity. And then in the weeks ahead, we're going to be looking at uh, our Christian service, local outreach, and global missions. And this is really a cyclical mission here. This is something we keep doing over and over again, that as you come and connect with God, connect with others, and you connect others with God, they come in and build that meaningful relationship with God and with others. And then we make disciples who make disciples until everyone in the world is saved. Right, And so we've got a lot of work to do, and there's really no end in sight. But that's who we are. That's what we're here to do. And, and this wasn't our idea, by the way. This is what Jesus told us to do. This is the commission on the church from Jesus himself. Now with this, we're setting three goals. And the first, as we've talked about, uh, is we, we have this really more of a challenge for all of you. We call it the Give Him Ten Challenge, where we want every person to spend ten minutes a day reading their Bible and praying. And it's just, just 10 minutes is all we're asking. More than that is great. But if you do this, we promise you, your life will change. Your life will change. And so we have some resources that we've been talking about that we're going to continue to, to, uh, make, uh, to suggest to you. But if any of you want to know how to do this, uh, come talk to me or any of the pastors, and we'll, we'll help you along in that. As Chris talked about last week, uh, as we're looking to connect with, with each other, we have this uh, get-together challenge where this is more of an internal goal that we'll be tracking as the staff and elders, is we want two out of every three regular attenders uh, involved in a connection group. This is things like Bible studies, small groups, connections hour. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things that would kind of qualify for this, but we really want you building relationships with one another. And the third big goal the one that we're going to be talking about like every Sunday and pretty soon we'll be talking about very extensively is our Reach 200 goal, which ultimately is, is the big goal of the church, which is to share the gospel of Christ with those who need it the most. And we have this goal that every person would identify one other person this year that they could share the gospel with that, that, that needs to hear it. And this is going to total 200 uh, by year's end. So we'll be talking about that more in weeks to come, and I've already heard from some of you that you've done that this year, which is, which is so great, and I want to start uh, sharing these stories and inspiring others to do this, but this is the ultimate goal of the church, is to connect others with God. But as we talk about today's message, Christian unity, this is what's going to make all of this possible, 
is if we're doing this together. Christian unity is one of the most important qualities of the church. And have you ever heard the term X-factor? Like if someone is an X-factor on a sports team, it means they have these qualities in them that don't really show up in the stats. It's kind of hard to define, but, but them being a part of the team makes an immense difference. They do all the kind of the intangible things, and it's hard to define. And I kind of thought about it this week, and, and Christian unity is kind of like the X factor of the church. It's, it's really hard to understand and define, but you know when it's there. And you also really know when it's not there. Now, when you have it, you can be wildly successful. And if you don't have it, you can die. Christian unity is at the core of our values as a church because it makes everything possible. Now, early in the church, they went through a lot of problems. You know, the church was formed and, and people came in rapidly and they're all unified of one mind and spirit. As you read through the book of Acts, this is the earliest form of the church. And unity was at the forefront of all they did. But then you read through a lot of the epistles, one of them we're reading through today. This is 20, 30 years after that time. There was issues. And people were fighting, and they were quarreling on a variety of things, of, of what are the things we're supposed to eat at our church gatherings. Which church leader is the best? And if I was baptized by this one, does that make me better than you who was baptized by that one? All these different cultures were coming together, and they're talking about what are the things we're supposed to wear and do and say. And the church very quickly could have been Divided, And that's why in every epistle, the call is towards peace and towards unity. Unity is the most important factor in the church. It's what makes us persevere. It's what makes us grow. And it's what we need to be preserving together as a community. So we're going to read today uh, in Ephesians 4, one of these sections that that uh, really expands on this idea. This is, this is actually uh, between verses 1 and 16 of chapter 4. This is really the most extensive we have on Christian unity and what that means in a community. But before we read just the first six verses today, why don't we just commit this time to the Lord in prayer. So pray with me. So Lord, we do thank you for the gift that we've been given in unity, that we can be one with each other as we are one in you, that you have called us to this church, that we are part of one big body of which you are the head, and we all work together in, in a harmonious way through the power of your Holy Spirit. So God, I pray this is something we can uh, begin to understand and appreciate today, but more so this is something that we protect and we guard at all costs because we understand how precious this is. So God, I pray as we, as we uh, read your words today, as, as we understand your truth, that you'd be working in us and, and help us understand, uh, first, the areas that, that we fall short in this, but uh, begin to see the beauty of the bigger pictures, that we are all working together in one mind and one spirit as one body. And so God, we thank you for that, the gift that is, and we just pray that you would, you would help us persevere, that we could grow in this, and that we glorify you. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, let's read together this text, uh, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life 
worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Six pretty quick verses, but as we look at that, there's a lot that we can pull out of Christian unity uh, from this. And the first is this, is that, that Christian unity is not an optional endeavor for the church. In fact, this is completely expected by God of all believers, that we'd be living and operating in unity. And most of Paul's letters are split kind of in two major ideas of these are all the truths about God, And then the second half of his letters are usually, this is how you live in it. This is how you apply it to your life. And this verse, Ephesians 4.1, is actually the hinge verse between those ideas. He spent the first three chapters talking about all of the amazing truths of God. And then he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And a shorter way of saying this is, if you profess to be a believer, then live like one. Let all of the stuff be evident in your life. And there's this urging, there's this exhortation here, that that all that's about to follow, again, these these next uh, 14, 15 verses, are all about unity. All of this is expected of you. And to to live a life worthy of the calling, the word user for worthy is kind of like a scale, you know, the the balance, is that if this is what you profess to be, then it should be balanced with how you live. Unity of believers is absolutely expected. Now, I want to make clear that this is not a call towards perfection, because none of us are going to be able to live up to that call. We all stumble. We all do things and say things we wish we wouldn't have done. And even the person who wrote this, the Apostle Paul, explained in a letter he wrote later that he continues to do things he knows he shouldn't do. And the things he knows he should do, he's not doing. And there's this measure, uh, this margin for failure in the Christian life. So this isn't about perfect execution as a believer, but really about honest intentions. And the only one who knows that is you. Are you striving to live a life that matches your calling, that matches your profession in Christ? We're all to strive towards this unity in Jesus. And this idea is is expounded upon by Jesus himself. Uh, There's this amazing uh, prayer in John 17. It's really the bulk of the whole chapter where Jesus is uh, with his disciples the the night before he died. And he has this prayer. He's praying for himself and everything he's about to go through. He's praying for his 12 disciples and everything they're about to go through. And then he opens up the prayer and he prays for all believers. Not just then, but all of those who had come to know him through the ages. And he prays for them and all of what they're about to go to, go through. And that, what that means is Jesus was praying for Maple Plain Community Church. Among all the other believers, but he, he prayed for us. And this is the prayer of Jesus in that moment. He said, I pray for those 
who will believe in me through their message, talking about the disciples. I pray for all those believers that they, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I pray for those who will believe that all of them would be one. That was Jesus' prayer for us, the last prayer he had before he died. And what's amazing about this is, is he says that if we can be one with another as we are one with God, then it will validate Jesus as the Messiah. That's crazy to me. Is that if we can exhibit this unity with one another, the world out there will say, Jesus is the real deal. Then it makes sense because if you go into a church, and I've, you know, I used to travel a lot when I was in college to a lot of different churches and saw all the different things, and you kind of go into those churches where you realize this half of the church doesn't care for that half of the church. And there's these wide, these these long-standing arguments and, and things, and they just don't do things together. And it's weird. It's weird. And I imagine that point, like I kind of had to be there. But if I were someone from the community who walks in and and senses this tension that you can kind of cut with a knife, I'd just say, no thanks. But then when you walk into a community where there's this this supernatural unity that just goes beyond logic and comprehension, you, you say, there's something different about this place that I can't explain. And when they have this testimony in Jesus, you begin to believe them because of the way that they're living with one another. This is the prayer of Jesus for the church and what he expects of us. Unity is not optional. We kind of get this quick list of of kind of like the prerequisites of unity because I'm sure some of you today are like, oh, yeah, I know that one person. They're really bad and I wish they would just do all these things better. But the reality is, with with unity, you have to look inside first. Are you living with the Christian qualities that leads towards unity? Look inside and and ask yourself, are you exhibiting these five things? And the first is humility, or to be completely humble. And it's not surprising that this is the first quality listed here, because humility is actually the beginning of the Christian walk. You cannot be a Christian until you've humbled yourself before the Lord. Because the opposite of humility is pride. Okay? And pride is the root of every sin that has ever existed. Pride is, is the idea of, I know more than God, or I don't need God, or I am equal to or greater than God. And pride will always lead towards disunity. But humility is the beginning of the Christian walk. And daily humility is a necessity for Unity in the church. And this doesn't mean seeing yourself as worthless, but rather seeing yourself as God sees you. Okay, we all have incredible inherent value by existing. God knows you and God loves you. And he loves you so deeply that he sent his son to die for you so that you can spend eternity with him. That's how much all of us matter. Okay, but humility is understanding that you don't matter any more than anyone else. We're important, but you're probably not as important as you think you are, and you're definitely not more important than anyone else. So when you come with humility, you understand who you are before God and who we are before God. We are all equal before him. And to be gentle 
is really understanding that, that there's going to be hard times, right? People are going to say things that hurt you. People are going to do dumb things. And, and you might be inclined to uh, just kind of look at them with disdain and anger. But gentleness is this idea of channeling your power into positive outcomes. It's kind of like a, a trained animal, right? A, a horse or an oxen on a farm are incredibly powerful but they channeled their energies towards what is productive. It's really emotional constraint, being gentle with one another. And rather than seeking revenge and retaliation, you use your power to seek restoration and reconciliation. Absolutely essential for unity. The third quality is patience. And this is something we are increasingly bad at as a society. I found myself the other week being really frustrated with Amazon, who promises everything in like two days or less. And we had this leaky faucet, and I kind of did about five minutes of research and realized the part I needed to fix it. And of course, Lowe's and Home Depot and all those places don't carry it, but who did? Amazon, for way cheaper than they would have done it. And they said, if I order in the next 20 minutes, it'll be here tonight. And I'm like, wow, that's great. So I put it in the order, and then it didn't come that night. It came the next morning at like 5 a.m. And I was just like, oh, I had to wait 16 hours for this obscure part to be delivered to my doorstep cheaper than I would have bought it from a store. And I, I just had this moment. It was like, think, think of what you're being upset about, Dominic. A hundred years ago, I would have been happy to have running water at all in my house. I wouldn't have had a car to drive to a store. I would have like had to take my horse to the general store. Knowing they wouldn't have the part I need, I'd have had to talk to the clerk and look through the Sears catalog and hope that it comes in 8 to 12 weeks, maybe. But here we are, like, as the world gets more and more efficient, we get less and less patient. And patience is absolutely critical in the church when it comes to unity because it's understanding that God's timetable is always perfect. It's always perfect. When we look at that relationally, it's, it's understanding that we are all a work in progress. We are all God's work in progress, uh, in, in progress. And his timetable is perfect. We're all going to be completely perfect one day in him. But it's not now. So stay patient in the meantime. And then to, to bear with one another, this is forbearance, really just means putting up with each other. This is kind of like the outworking of patience. And it's just extending this mutual grace and, and knowing we all have our not-so-fine moments. And it's being able to put up with those things as you have patience, to hold back your anger and your resentment and your disappointment, to knowing if I give you grace now, I'm probably going to need that same grace back tomorrow. Bear with one another and to do it in love. And the way this is written is, is like all of these qualities, all four of these prior qualities should be done in love. And that's really the single most important part of Christian unity. Everything we do is rooted in our love of God and our love of others. And not just some kind of cheap, cheesy love. This is like deep, sacrificial love. Everything is covered in love. So we all have a part in this. And Christian unity is expected of us, and it starts by looking inward. Am I doing everything I can to foster unity with one another? But it's not 
an elective for the church. We must remain united in all things that's expected of us. The second point is taken from this one verse, Ephesians 4.3. Now we are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We need to protect the unity we have in, in both a proactive and reactive manner. And logic would say if, if unity leads towards success in the church, then disunity would lead towards failure in the church. So we understand the stakes here. And so we are to make every effort. And that shows the responsibility of every believer to protect this unity that's been given to us. And treat it like an heirloom. Understand how precious this unity is, because it's not the way of the world. The way of the world is divisions. It is finding the ways we are different from one another. But unity is this gift that God gives us. And if you have this precious heirloom in your family that's been passed down from generation to generation, you, you guard it. You love it, and you do all you can to protect it. Unity is, the, is this sensation that you can meet a believer for the very first time. You've never met them. You might not even know their name, but once you find out that they are a believer in Jesus, you have this instant connection with them. And that's happened to me a, a number of times in my life where it is incredible and hard to explain. And you make every effort to keep that unity. Stay united. And that's why I love what's going on right now in the West Metro churches. And Phil had announced earlier this worship night that's coming up on March 5th at 6.30, where all of the different churches of different denominations and even different styles are, are coming together to be united on our love of Jesus. We're uniting in, in what matters the most. And we have this prayer time that happens every Thursday morning where these churches come together and they pray together. And I meet with the pastors once a month where we're all talking about how can we be working together and staying united. We're making every effort to keep the unity we have. And as Steph had said, the, the word for keep here is actually translated better as to guard, to protect because I can tell you that this is a spiritual endeavor. This is a spiritual battle. Satan wants nothing more than to strip the unity of the church, to pit us against each other in divisions and factions and arguments. And Jesus himself warned that if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom will not stand. We need to protect at all costs this precious gift that we've been given. But you know what? We can argue over really silly things. And Tom, Tom Rayner is a, a, a church author, a consultant. He's seen thousands of situations. He's, he's typically called into the very worst moments of churches where they've been divided for years or decades and they're at their, kind of their wit's end. And 90% of it is like, Tom, come fix us. And he, he writes about many of these things that he's seen, and some of them are, are just almost laughable. He talked about one where a church was nearly split apart because some thought that the pastors should be cleanly shaven and started a petition to make sure this is a requirement of the church. You talk about splitting hairs. 
Another one thought that they should not allow deviled eggs at the church potlucks because of the name deviled, right? Now, for me, I would just be bringing egg whites because I'm not yoking with you. But my favorite, my favorite story is this, that there was this decades-long feud between families in the church, and there's a small enough church where there's like two families, right? And they don't talk to each other, and everyone's mad at each other, and Tom gets called in, and through a series of interviews, he finally finds out that it all stems from one instance in which one person was in line at a church potluck, and the kid in front of him was served the larger steak, Talk about having beef with one another. (laughs) But scripture warns about this stuff many times because we can go to the level of stupid really fast. And we we can divide over the most ridiculous of things. And so there's actually a lot written about disunity in the New Testament alone. Because it was this pervasive problem in the church. And here we see just two examples of, of, of what's been written in, in other parts of the scriptures as we get a whole holistic view here. Titus 3 reads that we need to avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. And that we're to warn a divisive person once, then a second time, and after that have nothing to do with them. It seems kind of harsh, but it's showing the extent of which we should protect our unity. And and in this verse, they give four examples of disunity. Foolish controversies are kind of just like dumb arguments, like like the the pastors being shaven and and, and, uh, the the beef and all that stuff. But you can make mountains out of molehills, and you can turn anything into a big issue that's just really not an issue. So you've got to be careful of that. Genealogies is just kind of like, you don't know which family I'm from. I, my family is very important here, and it's just this pride and you're, who you're born from. Arguments, and this really means like being argumentative. And this is someone who just loves to argue about everything. Everything turns into a fight. You need to be careful of those kinds of people. And then quarrels about the law. This is really legalism. right? It's, just, it's not so much about the destination, but how you get there. And people argue about the process rather than the progress of the product. And they, they get so swept up in the things that, again, they don't have the end goal in mind. Be careful of legalistic things. And what's written here is that these things are unprofitable and useless. And probably a more modern translation of that is they are stupid and a waste of time. They don't matter. And so if you have people like that among you, you need to warn them once, warn them twice, and then break ties with them. And this could mean the full extent of church discipline is saying, you're not welcome here anymore, or just pretend like they're not there. Don't partner with them and stay unified with the people who are unified. And real quick, that's just more on the quality side of of things when it comes to divisiveness. The other part is just knowing your Bible and knowing what is the doctrine of God. And I'll just read this quick. I'll appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles that are contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. 
Now, this is why our goal for you is to spend 10 minutes a day in the Bible, because you need to know what it says. Because the other part of divisiveness is taking your eyes off of, the Christ, off, off of Christ and his truth and being swept up in deceit. And typically, false teachers are very likable because they tell you what you want to hear. But you need to know the doctrine that you've been taught. So I'm going to bring this back to, to verse 3 as we close out this point. This is why we need to protect it. Because we need to protect the unity, and we are to make every effort, either proactively or reactively, in protecting the unity that God has given us. This is the difference between success and failure as the church. And the whole body can be crippled if it's not dealt with. You never have that moment where you go to start your car and nothing happens. Turn the key, nothing. It's a terrible feeling, right? Well, a month ago that happened to me. I went in the garage and, and it was during one of those cold snaps and, and I turned the key over on my car. Not even a dash light comes on. And immediately all the worst things are popping in my mind of like, what happened? Is, did the battery just go? Was my alternator shot? Did a, a mouse chew through the lead wire? Like, what happened? And I, and I figured out the problem pretty quickly and I actually have the culprit in my pocket right now. It was, it was a mouse. I'm just kidding with you. <laughs> this is what crippled my entire car into not working. This is the light from the dome inside the, inside the cabin. Now, I unloaded my car, and I, I turned it on. I thought I had on the, the uh, setting where it will shut off when I shut the door. No, it was on constant on. And my car was sitting there for about two and a half days. And this little thing made my entire car useless. Why? Because it was draining the source of power the entire time. This little ball that maybe draws a watt or two made my entire car worthless. And that's how disunity works in the church. That's when you have one person that's causing divisions over and over and wants to pick fights about everything, be legalistic and be argumentative. They drain the source of the energy in the church and can make the whole body worthless. Protect the unity that you've been given by God at all costs. Now, the last part is, is a little more straightforward here. And that we can be united on a lot of things, right? And Christian unity is, is specific because it's very focused on what we're united on. Now, we could be a social club in which I say, only Twins fans are allowed here. And we can all be united in our love of the Twins and our misery of the playoffs, Right? We, could be, we could be united on anything in this world, but if it's not on God and all of his attributes, then it's not Christian unity. In fact, in Christian unity, we have a lot of room for disagreement. That's what makes Christianity really special. We have a ton of freedom in this. And in many world religions, they're all going to look the same and sound the same, and they're going to say the same things and, and have the same kinds of music but in Christianity, we have a ton of things we can disagree on, but still be united on the things that matter the most. There's diversity in the unity, and this is the list of the things that we must be united on. 
That we understand that as we come together in unity, there is simply one body. Now, Maple Plain Community Church is a local church. But we are a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. And Jesus is the head of that. And it started thousands of years ago. And it's going to continue on for eternity. We are a small piece of the puzzle. And believers right now are gathering in many different places around the world, speaking different languages, with different cultures and different opinions and preferences. But we remain part of one body. We are part of one spirit. And this is talking about the same Holy Spirit that indwells every person in the church. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is the same for all of us. It's bringing us to one final destination, which is our full glorification in Christ. Right now, the Holy Spirit is working in all of us through sanctification. And that looks different for all of us, but we're all going to the same way. There's one Spirit who speaks the same truth to all of us and ushers us into the same new life. There's one hope that we can all agree upon. There's only one hope in this world, and his name is Jesus. Jesus. Any other answer is wrong. Now, we can agree on that one hope. There's one Lord, and what this means is there's, there's one king, there's one boss, all right? And we are all submitting to him. That makes us all part of the same team. And we are the church, we are about the Father's business. Jesus is the head of the church. He should be the head of any church. There's one faith that we're united in. It's not just believing that God exists, but it's our faith, our journey, and our unwavering trust in Him. It's our faith that brings us together, that that keeps us together, that helps us to encourage one another to Him, to trust Him, and to obey Him in all things. Faith brings us together. There's one baptism. This one's kind of ironic to me, because there's actually a ton of division in the church over baptism. Uh, usually in, in the way that you're baptized and, and sometimes kind of what it means. But, but baptism is, is very closely linked to faith in the New Testament. When you became a believer, you were baptized. And it's this outward expression of this inward reality that you're being made new in Christ, that you are dying to yourself, your old self, and you're being raised in a new life. Now, anyone in the church, that is true for you. You are a new creation in Christ. And we can be united in that. Finally, lastly, there's one God. One Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. And this is understanding, really, the the power and the presence of God in our lives. That he is so much greater than any one of us. And he's over all, this is talking about his omniscience. That God ultimately holds the universe in his hands, and he knows everything about everyone at all times. That he is through all, this is his power, his omnipotence, that he works all things together for the good of those who believe him, and he has intense purpose in everything we go through. And he is in all, that is his omnipresence, that he is living in each and every one of us as believers. And he chooses to work through us. That's what unites us. See, this is the list that we need to focus on. 
These are the things that bring us together, and we can have infinite amounts of things that divide us. But unity is focused on the things that bring us together. So as we quickly recap the message today, well, the first point is this. Unity is not optional. It is expected of us. It is crucial for our survival and our success as a church, which means we need to protect it. We need to do all we can to make every effort to keep, to guard the unity that God has given us. And if all else fails, focus on Jesus. Agree on Jesus. Agree on all that he has done for you and that he's done for the world. And stay united in that. Because the reality is, one day, we will be living in perfect unity with one another. That's what heaven is. It's perfect unity and fellowship with one another. There's no arguments. There's no disagreements. There's only Jesus. And it will be glorious. So we can have a taste of that now as we stay united as this church. Let's close in prayer today. Well, God, I do thank you for this precious gift that you've given us. And we know it's, it's not something we can create. And the more we try to create unity, the more we get driven apart from one another. But it's something that we receive. It's something that we love. It's something that we protect. And so, God, I do pray for us, just as you did, that we would be united with one another. Just as, as you are united with the Father, that we would be united in the same way with one another. God, a prayer like that, I, I know, takes way more than our own strength and our own intentions. It takes the power of your Holy Spirit to be working in us. So, God, I do pray that for our, our church here. I pray for that for our greater church and the West Metro and in the world, that we truly would be one with each other. God, that it would be a powerful movement that overtakes the world. God, because that is our desire for everyone to be a part of this. So God, I pray for this now for, for our church and as we look at our mission and our vision and our values, help us be united in that purpose together, that you be glorified, you be magnified. And we pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen.